your Bibles tonight. We're continuing in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. And Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, a mature church. And we have completed the first chapter. We're now in chapter 2. Chapter 2. Where it says in verse number 1, And you, speaking to the saved members of that local church, and by extension to every saved born-again believer. If you're saved, say amen. You're glad you're born again. Praise the Lord. All right. And you hath he quickened, quickened. That's a lively word. Quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This speaks about our past. Now, look this way for just a moment. If you've been saved... Why is it that when we talk about the way we were before we're saved, we feel so guilty? That's our flesh doing that. If we've been saved in terms of our justification, that's all gone. The great song that, that Harold Lane wrote, What sins are you talking about? God says that. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. It's not that God doesn't have the ability to know everything because he does. But in terms, in, in judicial terms, we know a lot about judicial terms with all of the recent hearings and, and all of the exposure that we have to our Supreme Court and all of our uh, nation's system of courts and uh, judicial action and so forth. We understand there are certain things that are viewed in a judicial way. And in a judicial way, God views our past as being gone. He used to sing a chorus, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. That's a great chorus. The kids learn very early on through our choruses and songs that we sing and the verses that we memorize that when a person is saved, even though we had a past that, that was recorded, it's no longer held against us. It's been taken away. This is grace. This is the only way that God could do that. Everybody's got a past. So before you start judging other people for their past, remember that God looks at it judicially and says, that's gone. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, that's gone. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that's gone. Because of redemption, that's been paid for. Reconciliation, we've been brought back together with God. We were estranged from Him. We were aliens. We were outcasts. But that's gone. That's done. That's the past. That's B.C., before Christ, before Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that uh, that's all under the blood, under the blood, under the blood. You keep telling Satan that because he doesn't want you to remember that. He wants you to be feeling false guilt about your past. Now, I know on a day-by-day -day basis, we have to deal with the old nature. But in terms of our past guilt, that's gone as far as Jesus Christ and His finished work. Otherwise, why did He die on the cross? 
Why would Jesus die on the cross? If we had to keep working for something, why did he die on the cross? That was the, the world's worst situation then, the universe's worst deal. If Jesus died and we still have to work for something, we don't. Salvation is bought and paid for in full. You, <laughs> you, me, we who were dead, dead in trespasses and sins. He's quickened us. He made us alive. That has to do with our everyday business of living for Jesus, living a life that has been provided for us. It's not an old resurrected uh, corpse, but instead it's this brand new thing that's been provided us totally by grace, totally free, totally free. Sometimes we give the wrong impression. Sometimes we leave the wrong impression. I don't want anybody to be mistaken. Have you received Christ? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? If you can answer that with a yes, I remember believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then that answer, yes, also goes for the question, then is your sin debt paid for in full? And the answer is yes, yes, paid for in full. And do you have any reason at all to feel guilty? No, no. No, it's cared for. It's taken care of. Praise the Lord. This uh, is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible because it focus, focuses on this business of being alive, not dead anymore. We're alive. We're alive. And that doesn't mean just have a pulse. It doesn't mean just have you know, the presence of, of, of respiration, breath going on. This has to do with our position, our standing, who we are in Jesus Christ. As long as Christ is alive, we're alive. Because our life is in Christ and we are in Christ. So the devil who would like to keep us on our heels uh, is in for a bruising. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we pray now that you'll help us in this passage of Scripture to be determined to just take it to the devil in the power and the name and the authority of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, you hath he quickened. It's a great, a great thought. Quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Have you ever thought about the prospect of death? There, there is no degree of deadness person that's dead is totally dead, 100% dead. And that goes for physical death, that goes for spiritual death, 100%. There, there is no degree, no degree of death. Now, we, we do everything we can to soften the concept of physical death. We've just been to my mother's funeral, and they, they make sure that the, the preparation of the body to look as presentable as possible, as pleasant as possible, uh, and you know, all, the, all the, the things that they do to make up the, the, the body and to light, make sure the lighting is appropriate. I learned in doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of funerals over the years that you don't open up the casket out in daylight. And when the, when the people request that, we, they want one more look at at you know, uncle whoever or aunt 
whoever, out there in the daylight, you don't do it. You try to talk them out of it if you possibly can because it is a very stark view. The very best that they can do in the funeral home is wonderful, but it, it's not the same as life. It's not the same as life. And the mom picked out her dress. She had a very beautiful dress. Now, it was, it was purchased, I'll just say this, it was purchased in a thrift store, but it was a very expensive dress in its day. So she was buried in a thrift store, purchased beautiful, expensive dress otherwise, and she had on, she had on her jewelry, she had her pearls on, and she, of course, she, you know, I mean, she was, she was as beautiful as they could make a dead body look. And I'm, I'm speaking kindly because I love my mother with all my heart, but I've got to tell you, there was no life there. She was gone. She left days before. She'd gone to be with Jesus. She's already, you know, having to party. And there was leaving the funeral home, going out to the churchyard for the burial, there was a parade. And I said, I, I turned to, to I, it might have been Jeff Lewis, or it might have been, uh, been to one of our family members. I said, Mom's getting a parade, but she's already had one in heaven. They've already had her parade in heaven. A grand entrance. Peter talks about that entrance that entrance that we're going to have. So death is a stark thing. It's a stark reality. And it's not a pleasant subject, but it's a real subject, and we discuss it rationally. Spiritually, we are dead before we come to Christ. All of our spiritual equipment is inoperative. It doesn't work. Until we're made alive, until we are quickened, and that is called regeneration. Mark it down. Regeneration. We've been made alive. We who were dead have been quickened because we were dead. Not partially, not mostly, but totally dead in trespasses and sins. The interesting thing about the word trespasses is that it means to lapse or to deviate. So our trespasses, getting, getting off into where we should not be, we're all guilty of trespasses. We have a long list of trespasses as an unsaved person. And then there's sin, which is hamartia. And hamartia means to miss the mark. So before we're saved, we're, we're off out of bounds where we shouldn't be. And we miss the mark. We just can't get it right. And we are dead spiritually. We can't connect. We can't, we can't do spiritual uh, things. We can't do things that are right before God. And the reason is because we have not been yet made alive. That happens when we call upon the name of the Lord. That's when the new birth occurs and we are quickened and made alive and regenerated as the scripture tells us very clearly. It says in verse number two, and here's the acting out, the behaving out of the sinfulness prior to salvation, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. We behaved, we acted out, we lived out according to the course, according to the, 
the, the fad according to the latest thing of the world system, the cosmos, as it's spoken of here. According to the prince of the power of the air. There we have the presence of Satan. So we have the world system. We have Satan and then the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So we have the flesh. We have the threefold enemies of our soul. The world, the flesh, the devil, all represented here. This is prior to our salvation. There was a time when you called upon the name of the Lord. There was a time when you were born again, when you were translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, when you were taken from death and made alive. The Bible's very clear about that. Uh, we read about it over in John's Gospel. Let's go there. John's Gospel, and I will be very, very clear about this. John's Gospel, the fifth chapter... And verse 24, Jesus speaking said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath right now everlasting life. Picture with me, if you would please, everlasting life running back into eternity past and forward into eternity future like a great river. When we got saved, our first experience with it is when we believed on Jesus Christ as Savior and we tapped into that river. And now we have part of that flow in ourselves. But it didn't happen for us until then. That life always was into eternity past and will go on forever into eternity future. So here it says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath right now Boom, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Before salvation, our peg is over on the dark side of the board. That's where our peg is. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, our peg got moved from the dark side of the board to the eternal life side of the board, and it says, and it shall not come back into condemnation. We're over on the life side, and it'll never go back to the death side. Scripture is very clear about that. People who have been taught otherwise have it deeply ingrained in them that they got to keep on doing something. they got to keep on with some human effort, some kind of religious exercise in order to keep their peg from being moved back to the condemnation side. Bible is clear. It doesn't get moved back. It gets... It stays right there on the life side. Hopefully you see that happening. Hopefully you understand that's the way it is. It gets moved over to the life side and shall not come back into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. That's it. And it happens the moment we believe and we tap into eternal life. That's where it begins for us, but it always was. Eternal life always was, but we tap in when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it starts subjectively for us. But objectively, there always was eternal life. There always was. And, and we are so glad to be a part of this. It's wonderful. All right. So in the past, we walked, we lived it out according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. People who are still unsaved are referred to here as children of disobedience. Are they our enemies? No, they're not our enemies. They just haven't come to Christ yet. Will they come to Christ? That depends if the gospel is presented and if they respond to it. Whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word worketh, worketh in the children of disobedience is the same as our word energy. It has the sense of energizing. So the devil energizes people that are lost in this world. And that's where evil comes from. Evil comes from, emanates from the devil, but he's the one who energizes lost people, people who are not yet saved. Unbelieving folks get their wherewithal to do their evil from the devil himself. Now, verse number three, verse number three, among whom also we all had our conversation. Now, underline that word conversation. The way we have it given to us in our King James Bible, absolutely correct. It was used in 16, the 1600s to mean the lifestyle, the overall uh, life of an individual. So we had our lifestyle in the lusts of our flesh. The word lust doesn't just mean something that's sexual or sensual in that way. The lusts of our flesh are the unbridled desires of people who have not yet come to God. And uh, those who are saved that lapse back into a lifestyle, a behavior which is displeasing to the Lord, will also yield to the lusts of their flesh. But it's a matter of their choosing, whereas prior to salvation, we are slaves to it. We, we just eventually are just going to get back to that no matter what we do. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is still speaking of a person who hasn't yet come to God through Christ. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Children of wrath. The, the, the wrath that's spoken of here refers to the fact that they are under the wrath of God. Now we are not because Jesus Christ took our wrath for us, as you well know. Uh, we read about this over in the New Testament. But the wrath of God before conversion is something that we are under. We're under condemnation. We're under judgment. We're under the wrath of God. It is imminent. It could fall. Anytime a person uh, exits this life, uh, they're going to immediately be under the permanent wrath of of God, because the wrath of God is against that sin which has not been dealt with scripturally. We were by nature the children of wrath. The unconverted man acts against God. He does not act for God. You say, well, what about the kindnesses that they do? In everyone's flesh, there is a religious and benevolent side. And sometimes I have to say that I know unsaved people who behave themselves better than some Christians. And that's a real shame, but that really truly happens. How many of you have experienced that? Yeah, lost people that just treat us more benevolent, benevolently than some Christians do. But in terms of that which counts for eternity, it doesn't. It doesn't count for eternity because they're in a state of alienation, spiritual uh, alienation from God. 
The unconverted man or woman rejects God. He doesn't receive God on the terms of the Bible. They say, well, I've done so much. Phil Schuler, a great evangelist in independent Baptist circles who preached for my father on numerous occasions, with whom I had conversations in the late 20th century, is famous for many things. He was the son, one of two preacher sons, of fighting Bob Schuler, who was an old-time Methodist preacher in Los Angeles. And while Phil Schuler was starting out in the ministry, he decided he would, uh, he would go around and speak to all the famous celebrities that he could about Jesus. And he went to Palm Springs, where there was a beautiful, there is still standing a beautiful edifice that belonged to Bob Hope. In its day, it cost millions of dollars. It's up on a ridge, and you can see it as you drive into Palm Springs. You can see it sitting up there. Of course, it's a gated uh, area. You can't get to it. But Phil Schuler was able, uh, because of his connections, to get in to see Bob Hope. And as he was talking to him and making small talk, they were, they were having a good time. And Bob Hope was, was always a gracious host. He was a kind man. In fact, what I'm going to tell you next uh, may come as a surprise, but it, for those that knew Bob Hope, they knew this was true. Phil Schuler presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to Bob Hope and urged him to receive Christ. Bob Hope looked at him and said, Young man, when you give X amount of money to charity, as I did last year, a huge amount of money, you come back and talk to me. You come back and talk to me. In other words, he neglected his own soul because he equated his human benevolence with righteousness. And the Bible says there is, what? None righteous, no, not one. What a shame. I hope that before Bob Hope passed on, he did consider the claims of Christ as were presented to him. But he said, when you have done as much for charity as I've done, you come back and talk to me. There are people today who equate their acts of kindness, their good deeds with righteousness. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. They, they just, they don't satisfy God's holy requirements. So the unconverted man rejects God's method and tries to replace God's method with his own method of appeasing God. There are many churches, so-called churches and religious organizations, which have rejected the old-time gospel, the old paths, and instead have replaced uh, born-again preaching and soul-winning and the appeal for lost people to come to God through Christ with, with other benevolent acts, such as uh, feeding the poor, uh, clothing and, and housing those that are needy, and, uh, and doing things of kindness for people and have replaced the old-time gospel with, with those acts. I believe we should do those things, but not as a means of appeasing God. This, this is what comes out of, this is fruit that comes out of the life of a person who has been saved by grace through faith. This is something that we do naturally. And fundamentalists, Bible believers need to, to, to review that, take a page there 
And we need to be kind. We need to be benevolent, but not to appease God. This is a, a part of the fruitfulness of, of uh, being saved, of having been saved. The unconverted man ignores God's way, God's plan. The unconverted man denies what is said in the Bible about his sinfulness, about his need, and thinks that somehow he can meet God's standards. He can measure up. He, he, won't, uh, he won't come God's way. He will come man's way. We know the error of Cain. What did Cain do? He offered the fruits, the, the results of his own work from his garden, and God rejected that. It upset Cain so much that he rose up and he slew his brother Abel, who had brought the, the blood sacrifice that was required. Now, it was true that Abel raised sheep, but that, that wasn't the reason why God accepted what he brought. God accepted the substitute, the blood substitute that represented the Lamb of God who would one day come. There's no way that works ever represents Jesus Christ. Be careful. Jesus Christ went about doing good, but doing works does not take the place of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me say to all the young preachers and those who would be uh, soul winners, never get too far from Calvary. Never get too far from the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to think about and determine and talk about when we're dealing with people and their needs. The unconverted individual honors their own thinking, their own, the idolatry of their own ideas rather than the Word of God, which is definitive and final. What do you need? What do I need to please God? We need to come to God his way. His way. We need to trust and obey. We need to come God's way. It says in John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We're already under wrath. We're already spiritually dead. What do we need? We need to come to God through Christ. We need to come God's way not man's way, not by uh, religion or ritual, but by a relationship. And receiving Christ, we then are made brand new. We're made alive. Now we can communicate with God. God can communicate with us. Now we have our, our spiritual equipment is working, and we can understand the will of God through the Word of God. Death is a terrible thing. Physical death, yes, of course. But I'm talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death leaves people numb. Right now, there may be somebody hearing my voice or viewing this broadcast, and you say, I don't understand. I don't get it. All my life, I was told to be good, do good, and maybe God will like me, and maybe that will please God, and that will satisfy. I have to tell you with all respect and, and uh, with all deference that even though somebody who meant well taught you that, that's not correct according to the Word of God. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, Paul says to Titus, but according to His mercy, according to His grace, according to His great love, He saved us. Not by things that we do. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
one of the most horrible and yet wonderful things is to discover, to, to be alive and discover that what you've been taught is wrong and now you have an opportunity and this, go, this runs against the grain of your pride and your training and your upbringing, but you have to reject the false teaching that says some religion, some ritual, some, some uh, doing of something, some benevolent good works can in some way save you or keep you saved or enhance your salvation. None of those things avail. They're all filthy rags. The only thing we can do is throw ourselves in complete dependence upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and confess Him as our Savior and every bit of our salvation, not 99%, but 100% of it is because of His finished work, because of His grace. Death in the spiritual realm is eternal. Once a person dies physically in that state, the second death is forever and ever and ever. We're warned about the second death, of course, in Revelation chapter 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Later on in the book of Revelation, the 21st chapter, and the 8th verse, it is a solemn warning. It says this, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Gehenna is the second death. Hellfire is the second death. It is forever. Now let me go back and explain for a moment. All of these categories, they're not special categories that are supposedly worse than others. All of these categories in context have to do with the lack of repentance. The lack of a person having been saved. You see, in your history and mine, if we have broken any of the Ten Commandments, and we have. We've broken them all. Do you understand that? So before God, we're just as guilty as if we had murdered somebody, or as if we had committed adultery, or if we uh, had robbed a bank, done some terrible crime. We're guilty of all those things. So when the Scripture says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, that's speaking of those who have not yet repented. They've not yet come under the blood. You remember what I said? What sins are you talking about? We're separated as far as the east is from the west. Our sins are separated from us and they're placed in the deepest sea to be remembered never again by God who knows everything. But judicially, it is forever forgotten. It is forever gone under the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you've ever been one of these, fearful, but you've been saved, that fearful is gone. Unbelieving, yes, we all were before we got saved, but under the blood, it's gone. Abominable, there are some that would be classified as being guilty of abominations, but if you've been saved, under the blood, gone. Murderers, now Jesus said if you hate somebody in your heart, You've murdered them already. But let's just suppose somebody in this 
viewing audience tonight is guilty of murder. If you've been saved, it's under the blood. Gone. Whoremongers. Sexual sin. Impropriety. Wrongdoing. If you've been saved, it's under the blood. Gone. Sorcerers. I know that witchcraft and Satanism is on the rise. But sorcery also has to do, it's the word pharmakia. Sorcery, pharmakia. So pharmaceutical abuse. We're talking about drug abuse. So all related. You say, that's in my history, but have you been saved? If you received Christ, under the blood, gone. Idolaters. John said in 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourself from idols. Anything that comes between you and God's perfect will for you is idolatry. So we're guilty. But if you've been saved, judicially, it's under the blood. Gone. Gone. All liars. Well, the Bible says, here we go. Let God be true about how many? Every man a liar. Not a habitual liar. Not a, not a incurable liar in that sense. But we are all classified as liars. But if you've been saved, the Bible wait, what? Judicially, under the blood. Gone. Doesn't matter what sin, what category, what designation you bring and lay it out tonight. If you've been saved, it's under the blood and it's gone. And it's held against you no more. It's on Christ's account, not on our account. Prior to salvation, we were dead. We didn't have any hope. There was, I mean, there was nothing going for us. When we received Christ, it's all cared for. It's all under the blood. It's all taken care of. And praise the Lord, it's no longer part of our debt. He paid the debt I could not pay. And praise the Lord for that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you tonight are rejoicing with me with the uplifted hand? Rejoicing tonight that we've been cleansed. We've been made brand new. We've been made alive. Praise the Lord. Thank God for that. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be saved and know for sure? How about you out there that are viewing? Yes. Amen. Amen. While our head is bowed and our eyes are closed, it may be that God has spoken to you about some other thing and whatever it may be. Let me just urge you in a moment when the invitation is offered, the opportunity to step out and come forward if you'd like to. And if you'd like to pray where you are, that's fine as well. But want to encourage you, any decision that you might have that you need to make. If, it, if it's salvation, you've never been saved, then for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Pray right now from your heart to God. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. And if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up so I can see it? I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed. We're going to sing a verse of an invitation hymn. Jesus is calling number one.
Thank you. Thank you.